Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 378, and I'm your host, Casey Maluli. This is part two of our discussion on whether or not target date funds are right for you. We know a lot of people invest in target date funds through their 401k accounts, so we thought that this topic was relevant and and important for our listeners. So without further ado, episode 378. One of the main sticking points was in, in Peter's counter arguments was that within 10 years of retirement, these funds were not the best. He was used a little bit stronger word, words than that, but I guess as a person's actual retirement date is approaching and, and getting near, I think he used like within 10 years of a retirement date. Is is the, is the target date fund something that younger people just entering the workforce should be defaulting into? And then as time goes on, maybe they accumulate more assets in there and they can start working with a financial professional. So are target date funds more targeted for younger people and older people sh- shouldn't be using them? Or what, what's your guys' take on that? Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily unhappy when a client is within 10 years of retiring and they show us their 401k and it's sitting in a target date fund. I think that's better than not being invested or like Brendan had said, trying to jump in and jump out of the market and do some market timing. I mean, go back to doing what you do best. Go back to doing your, your job hmm. uh, instead of watching the market from your desk. So I am not opposed when we see that. Can we do some things around the edges to maybe better uh, tailor a portfolio that's more appropriate for them? Yeah, but we're doing a lot more work before we even get to that step. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see that people are investing and they've got a long-term approach. That's great. It's, you know, the, the other folks who are trying to get too cute with this money and they, you know, a lot of times we have conversations, I know you do too, where some of these balances in 401ks are are getting really large and people are starting to understand that, hey, if I make a misstep here, and it's not only a gigantic amount of money, like a year's pay or more, it's going to really hurt me very soon when I retire. And so I don't necessarily know that I wanna take that risk all by myself. Yeah, I mean, the stakes are higher when you get towards retirement. That's, I mean, it, it should be the case at least. You've been accumulating your entire career. You're getting closer to retirement. So ideally, yeah, you have enough assets and the means to pay for help from a financial professional who can take a look and say, hey, is this actually a fit based on what you want to do? Is the, approxim- is the approximation of the target date fund you've been using close enough? Or should we be doing something different based on what you want to do over the next 10 years in retirement and transition to it and early stages of it? What other assets do you have? Because, you know, that factors into like your overall allocation and not necessarily just this, this account that the target date fund is accounting for. So like, yeah, there's, there's a lot that you can dig into. And especially at that point in somebody's career, but also there are tons of people approaching retirement using things like target date funds that aren't going to work with an advisor. Mm-hmm. And for them, yeah, I would rather see them in a target date fund than trying to 
time the market or do something crazy because they're worried that the stakes are high and that they have to try harder. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think the target date fund, again, is most of the way there. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm, I'd also say, because we've seen it come across our desks here, that there's a lot of folks that are invested in target date funds that simply don't understand how these things work because we'll see some folks that have five different target date funds in their account, in their 401k. It, it doesn't, it's not... Yeah, that's it's not that's built for that. I mean, that's again, that's education. Right. But yeah, I mean, this should be it's an asset allocation approach, which, as you were alluding to, Brendan, if you can get the asset allocation right, you're 80% of the way home. Or get it close, just don't yeah. be harmful because, you know, I, I know we're like joking, like we've seen people who are like, diversifying air quotes across their target date funds but i've also seen like way worse diy not target date fund allocations where somebody like sprinkled you know random contribute like they had like lump sums and they randomly stuck it into like oh this one had the best five-year track record at that time so i put it into that and then i, moved- I like both of these small cap values uh, funds right, that right. they plan. own like yeah. six of the ten large cap funds that the plan offers like that's not valuable either and in fact i think leads to maybe a sense of, of uh, you know, false, it's false diversification, because yeah. at least, I mean, if it's overlapping, and it's all in the same asset class, let's say like, oh, I just picked the five best three year track records in my plan, and they all happen to be large cap growth funds. And then the person thinks they're diversified, and they're not at all, they're actually very undiversified. Yeah, they own all the same stuff across five different funds that are all doing the same thing. Um, I'd rather see them in five target date funds. Because at least the target date funds are fund of funds and they're getting an exposure that's like balanced across asset classes as opposed to just loading up and whatever, you know, whatever other way you got to it was. Right. I'm not saying people can't do it on their own and come to a sensible conclusion. It's just that I don't think most people really like want to do that. And, and I don't think a lot of people can work with a financial professional to do better than that. And so that's kind of who we're trying to solve for with the target date funds, I think. If you're going to work with a financial advisor and get better advice, then like you're going to pay out of pocket for that and you'll probably get better advice. Yeah. But it sounds like target date funds are doing a lot of the intangible work, meaning like they're taking, they're giving people their time back. They're giving people their maybe sense of peace back or peace of mind back by not having to do them do this stuff themselves and worry about making the calls on on their own or what the market's doing the target date funds it, it is kind of a set and forget type approach and i think that that is a a huge plus and a huge reason why a lot of people use the target date funds in the first place i also think it's interesting that we're doing this podcast a couple episodes after talking about the behavior gap Right. And how investors underperform the funds they own by 1.7%. That was a recent study from Morningstar found that investors underperform the funds that they own, which means that the investors themselves are buying and selling the funds that they own at inopportune times, which I think telling people to do it themselves and not use the target date funds exposes the investors to that exact thing. 
That's one one really great thing about targeted funds is that it forces investors to consider their portfolio as one cohesive unit, despite the fact that underneath the hood in each target date fund, you're going to have large cap stocks, mid cap stocks, small cap stocks, international stocks, bonds, international bonds, cash, all of these things, maybe even commodities. It depends on the target date fund we're, we're, we're talking about, but it's balancing all those asset classes and, and sectors. It's putting them all together into a mix that makes sense based on, you know, the, the, blind age number that's been slapped on at the year that the person might begin needing the money. But it's one pot of money in the sense that the person then doesn't have to go in each year and say, hey, large caps did good this year. Like we need to sell some of those to bring the portfolio back into target and add to the bonds, or we need to add to the small caps or to the international or whatever else wasn't working. Right. People don't do that because they're going to, if you had to do that rebalancing on your own, um, I know because we have we have to do this for clients, and I know the human emotions that go along with that. I don't want to do it. Yeah. You don't want to yeah. do it, and then so you don't do it, and then you end up with a portfolio that is nowhere near your target, and can probably end up far riskier than than you otherwise thought. If if rebalancing feels good, then it's probably not you're rebalancing, doing it, right? Doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. You're, you're probably doing reverse rebalancing then, and just trying to like add on to more of, of whatever's been working lately. And that's not keeping a constant risk portfolio. Like that's an entirely different thing. And so we try to get clients to think of the portfolio as one cohesive unit. And it's a lot harder when you can look under the hood and see the parts and be like, Hey, this part, like what's going on with it? Like, is it broken? Like, yeah, should, should we, we chuck we, it? Like, right, yeah. no, well, you know, no, we, we allocated to that part for a reason. And yeah, over the last 12 months, it might've stunk. But uh, it doesn't mean we're going to quit uh, on it. And and you have the opportunity to look at that and to nitpick it. And I think that that is a huge benefit of, uh, you know, these fund of funds. So there was also uh, an article from the Wall Street Journal, which kind of sparked this discussion in here in the office. And they talk about how you if doing it yourself, you could save a couple basis points pretty much but over 10 10 or so years it works out to a few percentage points and it was pretty much telling people that to go ahead and and remake these target date funds and just do it do it yourself and and save those couple basis points and i just want to read the last two lines of the article of course the downside to doing it yourself is the desire to time markets and rebalance too often but if one can control that urge a do-it-yourself portfolio can net you a few percentage points in retirement. But if one can just control that urge, it's not that hard. If I were you, I would simply control my emotions. Yeah. Then I would be great at investing. So much easier said than done. I think that, you know, human behavior is is such a crucial part. And, and we've talked about it on pretty much everywhere. Our videos, podcasts, our blog posts. We talk about it all the time with our clients here in the office how controlling for that and kind of taking the emotion as much as you can out of investing usually works out in the long run in your favor. You're taking the target date fund is taking that whole process out of the equation. Instead of saying that you should learn to corral your emotions, it's saying like, we're not even going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're going to opt out of that part. And sometimes the avoidance of opportunities to behave poorly is the best way to make sure that you don't do so because it's, Otherwise, it's it's in your hands, yeah. in our hands, to, to do the right thing time after time. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, 
I think to, to piggyback on what uh, on your last comment, Casey, I, I think what they were saying was that if you did it yourself, instead of letting this target date fund do it, you would see a boost of more than three percentage points in cumulative returns over 10 years, mm -hmm. not per year, over 10 years, three, three points. Right, I think it was 17 years. basis points a year. Yeah. I mean, just so insane. Yeah. Why would you do the, that? So on one hand, you have the opportunity for that, which also opens you to the opportunity of underperformance versus what you otherwise would have gotten by not having to do it yourself, which could, like one, one year of that could easily wipe out 3%. Uh, over a decade, one year of uh, sure. oh, Making I don't want to rebalance. Yeah. Like I, I'm well, not going to do it. Right? Into that, right? Yeah. yeah so your cost, obviously, costs matter, and and everything else equal in a vacuum. Sure, like you yeah. would, you would want the lower cost, but the lower costs in this case come with the added responsibility of continuing to do the right thing over a decade to make sure that the cost benefit is not being negated by other decisions right. that that you could choose to make right i think i think some of the vanguard target date funds now are around 15 12 basis points so it, it, it's going to be plan dependent you know vanguard's not in every single 401k plan wish it were but um yeah obviously lower costs the better but lower costs at what cost you know like it, it it's about trade-offs so i think target date funds mostly good we didn't mean to get on Peter Malouk here too much. You know, a lot of his points were right. And I think, you, again, just creating some, some good discussion amongst the finance community on Twitter. So we just wanted to talk about this and, and share our thoughts on target date funds with our listeners. So that's going to do it for episode 378 of the Maluli Asset Podcast. We talked a lot about target date funds in there, and I hope that there were some applicable tidbits of information and you now have a, a better grasp of, of how to use target date funds and what they're for, and we will see you on episode 379. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast.